Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. So I'm excited tonight, um, uh, and we we're gonna teach. We're gonna kind of treat this almost like like Bible school. Like I'm, I feel like I'm teaching disciples of Christ. That's what I feel like I'm teaching. I don't feel like I'm teaching unbelievers. I feel like I'm teaching disciples of Christ for us to begin to learn um, what the Bible says. Uh, I started off probably about six subjects that maybe I wanted to talk about, what the Bible says about this, what the Bible says about that. And then in the last you know, two weeks, it's turned into like 12 subjects because <laughs> I just, wanna, I just, I just wanna, want us to teach. We need to go back to the Word of God. Um, and, and so... We're going to jump into, into this tonight, and I hope you take these sheets um, and read through. Guys, uh, my first, uh, I, taught a, I taught a class, a course uh, that a long time ago. Um, I want to see if anybody was in here for this course. Was anybody, do you remember going to my house a long time ago, and I went through the whole book of Genesis and the book of Exodus? Was anybody involved? Judy Story, the shark. Do you remember what, what I talked about? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we went through every chapter and just walked. It was so good. Well, I thought it was. And and just to to break down stuff and look at that. And that was, gosh, that was a long time ago. Um, that was a long time ago. Uh that's almost scary right now, sitting here thinking about that. But I feel like so I went back and I was praying and I looked at some notes about how do we how do we talk about the Bible and what does the Bible say about the Bible and um, and looking at looking at that. And because I want to get into how, how can you trust the Bible? How do you is the Bible, you know, just looking at how do we get it? Who do we get it from? All, you know, all this kind of stuff and understanding it. And um, and so there could be we could spend hours upon hours just the notes I have from that course are like, I don't know, 12 full pages of, of things. And so we're going to look at maybe some this week and the next week we're, and maybe even the week after of looking at how can we trust the Bible. Tonight I want to focus in and dial in on what does the Bible say about the Bible. We're going to look at archaeology and look at manuscripts and look at a number of different things. But what does the Bible say about the Bible? And the first thing I want you to see if you look at your notes is the thing I want you to kind of get a hold of is what is the authority for your life? This is the thing I want you to look at. What is the authority for your life? And a couple options you can look at here I gave you on these points is the first one is the thing that everybody's doing it is culture. Is the authority for your life culture? What everybody's doing in the culture that we're in, is that the authority for your life? What everybody in culture is doing? What's prevailing in culture? What's progressing in culture? Is that what your authority is? Is your authority tradition, which means, which is the second one? Is it tradition? Well, we've always done it this way. It's what we've always done. There are godly traditions, and then there's traditions of men. And Jesus said, you make the word of God of no effect because, does anybody know? Nobody knows? Raise your hand if you think you know. Come on. 
if you think you know. I'm not going to judge you if you don't. Judy, do you know? Traditions of men. Look at you. It's really good. If <laughs> So the tradition, he, he told these people, your traditions are blocking and limiting the word of God. There are so many denominational, cultural, and traditional things that limit the word of God from working in our lives. And we don't need to let them be an authority. We need to let the word of God be the authority. Uh, the, the third one, uh, self-reason. Or you could say human wisdom, self-reason, which is like, look, this seems logical to me. Seems logical to me. So we begin to question the authority of God because of what culture says. We question the authority of God because of what tradition says. We question the authority of the word because it doesn't match with our logic. And so we, we're, we, we want the word of God to end up serving us. And, and, and the last one is emotion. It feels right. Emotion. Well, this just feels right. It just seems right to me. It feels right to me. And, then, and so we begin to put ourselves at the center of the equation and put the word of God out there. And, and we begin to use culture, tradition, self-reason, reason, emotion, human wisdom, those things. And it makes us question the word of God. And that's the first thing that the enemy does in the garden is he says, does God really say? He makes them question the word of God. So it's okay to have questions about the Word of God. I still have questions about the Word of God. And y'all know how righteous I am. <laughs> I still have questions about the Word of God. But it's not okay to question the God of the Word. So if your understanding is not connecting with His revelation, then it does not give you a right to question the God of the word as you are questioning the word of God, like have questions about the word of God. You need to humble yourself because his peace can surpass all understanding. So God, I don't understand what's happening right now. I don't understand what this text says. I don't understand it, but, I, I, but my trust goes beyond my level of understanding. I trust you. And why? Because the greatest evidence of anything I could share with you, I've already shared with you on Sunday, on Easter, is the resurrection. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus. That's the greatest evidence. So everything else, we can play catch up. And some things we're not going to learn until heaven. Some questions won't be answered until heaven. And that's why it's really important not to judge a thing before it's time. You don't judge a thing before it's time. And, and so, and when I say time, I don't even just mean time on the earth. That's, that's included in the statement. But you need, to, you need to, things are only rightly judged through the lens of eternity. It's only through the lens of eternity. You may think it's unjust right now, but you don't know the other side. You may think it's not fair right now. And if you're at the center, God, why me? Why is this happening to me? I had a 12-year-old girl in my office recently with her mom. And we were talking and, 
And she, it was really cool, really cool questions and stuff. But she got on this thing about something about, I don't remember exactly what she said, but something about kind of she's struggling with God because God hasn't answered her prayers. So, okay. So she said a brilliant thing first. Her first thing was, if there's a God and like he's my creator, then wouldn't he have a purpose for my life? A 12-year-old. And I'm like, I spend my life trying to tell that to 50-year-olds, <laughs> you know. But yes, of course. And then it was like, well, God's not, I don't, God, I've prayed for this and that, and God's not answering my prayers. And sometimes I don't feel like it's, I don't remember her exact words, but it was like, he, he, he's not making me happy. And I did the pastoral thing, the just right pastoral thing. I scooted my chair up and I was like, oh, you think God wants to make you happy. That is so cute. And she was just looking at me like, like, Mom, why do we go to this church? And we walked through some of this, but through it all, I helped her. And she just, her mind, she just opened up and realized that she's not supposed to be at the center. God, why are you not making me happy? Why are you not answering my prayers? She realized that now God's at the center. And God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to honor you. I put you first. Things don't make sense when I'm at the center. Things make perfect sense when he's at the center. And our culture will tell you, you should be at the center. But Jesus is the center. Um, so why most people reject Christ in the Bible? Just a few simple things that, by the way, I didn't bring the books in here, but a couple of books that I've read uh, over the years that are just really good. One, one, I'll just tell one of them, is evidence that demands a verdict. Evidence that demands a verdict. Has anybody in here ever read that book? Okay, great book. I forget who the author is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, hmm? Josh McDowell. That's who it is, Josh McDowell. Uh, it's old book. I got it when I was in the military years ago, and that's what started my study on how can we trust the Bible. Incredible book. And actually, you can go to his website, Josh McDowell. Uh, I forget exactly what his website is. It might be evidence that demands a verdict, but he has lots of resources on there, and there's a number of others you can look to because we're just going to barely even, not even scratch the surface. But as Christians, we need to be able to give a reason for why we believe what we believe. Okay, So here's why most people, and I, I got this from him, why most people reject Christ and the Bible. And I found this to be true in my experience, and I've renamed some of it. But the first one, you see it right there, self-centered ignorance. You ever met somebody ignorant? Don't look at them right now, just... Uh, and so Romans 1, if you read Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, you'll see, you, you'll see that, that mankind is without excuse. Because in the creation of God, you can see there is a God. Anybody who lives in this earth and says, the fool says there is no God. Because you can see, you hold a baby. I mean, you just, you can't look at stuff and, and say there is no God. God has made himself known through his creation. The creation of God preaches the gospel. So mankind, from God's 
what God says there is, is without excuse. So there's this, there's this ignorance, a self-centered ignorance, again, putting themselves like, like we know more than God or whatever. And then the second one is pride and arrogance. John 5, verse 40, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders who had studied the Bible, very studied the scriptures, the Old Testament, that was their life, they're studying the scriptures, and Jesus, God in flesh, speaking to them, said to them, you think, he says to them, you think you have everlasting life because you search the scriptures. He said, but you don't have life, and this is a statement, because you're not willing to come to me. And what he's, the, the emphasis, what he's saying is, you're not willing to come to me, and if you're not willing to come to me, you will misinterpret my word every time. And so it's, you're not willing, you're not willing. And so there's lots of people who will debate and argue. I've had lots of conversations over the years with all kinds of people. Guys, I've had all kinds of people, all kinds of places, all kinds of things. I am not an expert by any means. Josh McDowell would be the expert, and there's others that would, can speak really well into this. But I've, I've spent the last um, 25 years of my life walking with Christ. And uh, let's see, is that right? What, we in 22 Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. So what would be 94? 28 years? Y'all pray for me. 28 years and walking and talking with people about the Lord and having all kinds of conversations. And every person I've ever encountered, you, you can tell a difference right off the bat. If their heart is a willing heart and they're asking because they're searching or they're asking because they're arguing. Are they asking to entrap you or are they asking uh, to, you know, be open in conversation? And so, so you got to be, be careful about people who just want to argue. It's, it's not, it's not, if somebody's willing, you know, and we'll see this in a second, somebody's willing, they'll open up and know the Lord. And, and then in that, that arrogance one, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, if you've never read that, underline that verse. Because that says in the latter days, in the last days, it talks about the last days and what it's going to be like. And matter of fact, let's, let's look at that. I just think we need to look at that because some of us maybe not know what 2 Timothy chapter 3. I can already tell, and I'm not going to get to all my verses, but we'll be all right. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And just, just listen to this. Listen to this written in the first century. Listen to what the Spirit of God would say. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men or people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And the love of money is what? Root of all kinds of evil. Boasters, proud, proud about all kinds of things that they shouldn't be proud about. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents. unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, which means they don't have the fruit of the Spirit working in their life, brutal, 
despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So how do you, how do you reconcile going to all the world but yet from these kind of people turn away? Because you can tell pretty quick if their heart is, is rebellious in this and if this is the lifestyle of I want to live in this kind of lifestyle, don't tell me what to do. You ain't the boss of me. You, you need to be careful because you don't want to cast your pearl before swine. Now, that doesn't mean we need to go to the other extreme and have an us and them reality. We come hide in church and wait for Jesus to come rapture us out. And we just say, those sinners are terrible. Those sinners, well, hold up a sec. You was one. And somebody preached the gospel to you. And so you need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to navigate those waters because you don't want to have this thing of, ooh, unclean, unclean, unclean. You need, to, you need to recognize when it's time to go out among them with wisdom and speak the truth in love. But if here's, here's the way I would say it. If the unrighteousness at work in them is stronger than the righteousness at work in you, you need to back away. Need to back away. That make sense? If, if the unrighteousness at work in them, if the darkness at work in them, if the sin at work in them is operating at a greater degree than the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit is operating in you, then you just need to back away. You need to back away. You can pray for them. Lord, you need to send somebody, but it ain't me. Because I'm going to get right, right into that mix of stuff or whatever. Okay, and so here's what I want you to, uh, the last one is darkness and blindness, which you can look up those two scriptures uh, and it talks about the enemy literally blinding the minds, the enemy, spiritual darkness, spiritual um, blindness. He literally will blind the mind of unbelievers, say they, they cannot hear. You could be right in front of them and just telling them plain as they flashcards, coloring book, everything, and they just do not get it. Okay, and so what happens is, uh, so what I do, here's how I do it, and this is, this is just kind of uh, something that I've, I've done over the years, and, and if you don't do this, try this, and it might help, is there's a couple of scriptures that reference that say this, that says Jesus is, is talking, and he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can come to, it says, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So we, prayer is not changing God's will. Prayer is not me saying, oh God, God, please, please God, would you save this person? I know you don't like them. I don't like them either, God. But would you please save this person? Because it's a good thing to do. We're not begging God to do something he doesn't want to do. Prayer, or God, would you heal this person? God, we don't, we're not praying to twist God's arm to do, would you bless this person? We're not praying to twist God's arm to do something he doesn't want to do. We're praying in agreement with his will. God, I know you love Johnny. I know, why did I use Johnny? I, 
God, I know you love Johnny. Uh, I know you love him. And he's, he's messed up. He's tore up from the floor up. He's out in sin. He's, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. But God, I know you love him. And I know you've called him. And I come into agreement with you in the earth. I agree with you. And, and, and in this earth realm, I come into agreement with you and say, Father, draw him to your son. And what that means literally is, in Jesus' name, the Wi-Fi of darkness over Johnny, I bind that and I rebuke that in Jesus' name, and I declare an open heaven over his life so that at least for the next 30 minutes, he'll have ears to hear. Now, Johnny can in his own life do things that counteracts that because I can't take control of Johnny's life. Don't you wish you could? But I can't take control of his life. But what you can do as an intercessor according to the word of God is begin to speak that word and say, I just declare any blindness that the enemy is working over his mind, I remove that in Jesus' name. And, I, and then I loose upon Johnny a spirit of wisdom and revelation that he would hear and he would see and he would know dreams and visions. Lord, speak to him. And you can literally pray that over people so that the blindness is removed. That's a whole lot better option than just... <laughs> Imagine going to a literal blind person and being like, why do you keep tripping? Why, do you, why can't you walk? Why can't you, why can't you see? That's how it is with some believers being so judgmental to unbelievers. That's how it is. And no wonder the world says, if that's how you treat people, I don't want nothing to do with it. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't mean we cater and say, you're supposed to stay blind the rest of your life. No, no. Eyes be open in Jesus' name. Spiritually and physically. So their spiritual eyes are open and now they can see what they didn't see before. See, when you were blind, you did a bunch of dumb stuff too. But when your eyes were open... Suddenly it's like, why did I do that? Okay, so we need to pray their, their eyes are open. So that's that blindness thing. So the next point is faith is objective. It's not subjective, it's objective. And the object is truth. And you can write next to that truth, Jesus Christ. Because people say blind faith. Oh, faith is blind. There's a blindness of faith. A lot of intellectual people who are atheists are some of the um, most ignorant people on the planet. Because what happens is they begin to think through different things, thinking themselves wise, they become fools, is actually what Romans says. And, and they have all these things and they put you know, science and philosophy and, and progressivism and evolution and all these things up and, and above the knowledge of God, and it's just, it's just foolishness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the reality is, matter of fact, somebody look up what that verse is. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I want to make sure, at Proverbs 14, maybe, 14.1, see if I'm right. Boy, I'd be so happy if I'm right. Um, might be in Psalms. No, I think it's Proverbs. Uh, and so, and when you get it, just let me know. Anybody got it? Nobody cares about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Psalm 14.1. I had a P in the right numbers. All right. Psalm 14.1. You can write that down. Now, that doesn't give you ammunition to go up and say, do you believe in God? No, fool. 
<laughs> that doesn't give you ammunition to do that. But you just, you know, just so you understand. So the object is truth. See, there's an object. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. When people like things like this, when people tell you, yeah, but why, how come a Muslim who's, who's been raised in, I have people tell me this, how come a Muslim or a Hindu who's raised in a, in a, in a, a Hindu nation or a Muslim nation, whatever, they are much more devoted to their faith than a Christian is? I'd be like, I agree. Totally agree. But their devotion to their faith is not what establishes their faith. Faith is not built upon devotion. Faith is not built upon effort. Faith is built upon truth. Because you could devote yourself to something that is a lie and your devotion will produce nothing. And so just because somebody says, yeah, but Christians are lazy, I see all these other people who are devoted to God. They're devoted to spiritual things. But if their devotion is based on a lie, even though they may be more devoted, I know a lot of people who are more devoted to sin than Christians that are devoted to righteousness. That doesn't mean it's better to be a sinner. And so just because somebody's devotion, their, their faith is built on a devotion and they're very devoted to their faith doesn't mean that we should be like, oh, that's true. That's a really good point. No, it's like they're devoted to a lie. And just because they're devoted doesn't mean it's true. Is the object of their devotion true? Faith is not blind. Faith is the most, in- faith is the most intelligent thing you can do once you see the logic of God. Faith is extremely intelligent. Faith is never blind. Faith is eyes wide open. Faith is never blind. It's I see Jesus. Think about that. People say blind faith, but yet our Bible says, um, in Hebrews 12, our Bible says, um, uh, cast off the weight and sin that easily entangles you and run your race with endurance. Um, uh, Uh, looking, looking to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Faith is not blind, faith sees. And what faith sees is Jesus. Because he's the author. He's the author. And he's the finisher of our faith. Does that make sense? So he's the object. So here's some scriptures you can look at in John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word. I love John 1. Love. So you, if you never read John 1, read it. It's really in the beginning was the Word. Jesus, He is the Word. Uh, John 1 14 says, And the Word became flesh. The Word in the beginning was the Word. And then that Word became flesh, which is Jesus. It skips down to John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, truth, and the life. We talked about this a few Sundays ago. He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. So Jesus is the word that was made flesh, and he is the word, and he is in the beginning, and he's the last one standing. He's the one that remains in the end, the faithful and true word of God. And and he's the author and finisher of our faith. And that word became flesh because every word of God needs to become flesh. The word of God became flesh in Jesus' life and the word of God needs to become flesh in your life. 
It's the word becoming flesh. And I love what it says in John. I can't pass it up. I love what it says. If you read through there, it's really cool. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And it, one, two, skip a few. Um, and all things that were created were created through him. And him means the word, not God, the word. So what it means is everything that God ever created, he created through his word. What that means is anything that God will ever create in and through your life will be created through your relationship with his word. So people say, oh, I'm just so spiritual. I'm I'm so prophetic. I'm so, and they're never in their Bible. You just need to like, okay. Because anything God will create, he will create through his word. The Spirit of God will be at work, but He works in response to the Word every single time. So you test any moving of God by His Word. There's so many other scriptures um, that I'm thinking about. And Jesus said, He prayed in John 17, He says, Sanctify them by your truth. He says right there, Your Word is truth. And He's talking to the Father. There's so many scriptures, so many scriptures. Jesus claimed to be God. So Jesus, if he's the object of the faith, if he's the object of the Bible, um, he claimed to be God. So he's either a mythological legend, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Or there's one more option. He's, and it begins with an L, Lord, (laughs) Lord. He's either a mythological legend who, like Bigfoot, even though I've heard some of y'all found him. He's a liar or he's a lunatic because he claimed to be God all through Scripture. He, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God. So when people say he's a prophet, he claimed to be the way, truth, and life, and the only way, not a way. The, he claimed to be the only way to the Father. So when people say all these roads lead to heaven, well, okay, you know, I would tend to agree with you, except for that little thing about the Lord saying that's not true. Well, by my logic and what culture says, okay, are you going to go with culture says and what your emotions say and what seems right to you? You bright little 25-year-old? Or are you going to trust the proven, tested word of God? Know this. I just feel like this is for somebody. I don't know who this is for, but I feel like this is for somebody. When you are in a test, it's not the word of God being tested. The word of God has been has been proven, validated, tested. When you are in a test, it is not the word of God being tested. It is your trust and faith in the word of God that is being tested. So what's under attack right now looks like the word of God is under attack, but it's not. What's under attack is our faith. And we can't let culture and logic and all that tradition Because there are some traditions. Look, there's things that need to change in the church. Some of these people that are outside the church, that are looking at the church, they're right about some stuff. There's some things we need to change. There's some things we need to address. 
There are some things that we need to change, but we don't go to the world and say, let's take a poll. What do y'all think we should do to be more relevant? What we need to do is say, how do we, let's look back to the Word of God, go back to the original source, and line ourselves up to the truth of the Word of God and say, are we walking in alignment with truth? That's what needs to happen. And we should always have that attitude because none of us are perfect. We, we can easily get tangled up. So we should always have that attitude, you know, in our life. I think of Jesus claiming to be God, and I just got a couple of scriptures in my mind right now, like Mark 2, where they lower the guy from the, the, the ceiling. Remember the, the paralytic that they lower down? And Jesus says to him, your son, your sins are forgiven. Well, who would forget? They got the, the Pharisees and Jewish people got so mad at him. It's like, well, hold up. Who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. So all through the scripture, Jesus claimed to be God in the things that he did, in the things that he said. And he, and he quotes from the Old Testament. That's all he did was quote from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament talks about him speaking in parables, by the way. And so he claimed to be God. He didn't claim to be a prophet of God. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of God, which is another thing that was just radical. So if you come to the Bible and you look at it and Jesus is the object. See, the Old Testament doesn't make sense without the New Testament. And the New Testament doesn't make sense without the Old Testament. And you got some churches saying, well, we need to go back to the Old Testament, and they camp there, at, uh, but they only look at one side of it. And you got the other group that says, well, the Old Testament's old, and we're new, and we're not going to be in the old. And so we go to the new, but we don't understand it. And then we make a gospel that looks like our culture, and a gospel that looks like our nation, and our gospel that looks like us, because we make a God that looks like us instead of us looking like God. Just to check if I'm going in the right direction. If you believe that, say amen. So Jesus Christ is the living word of God, and the Bible is the written word of God. Look at John 7, 16 through 17. Because I'm going to start, I'm going to start with the most important verse there is. Out of every scripture I could possibly, or you, I or you could possibly find about how do I know if the Word of God is the Word of God? How do I know if the Bible is the Word of God? How do I know if the Bible is the Word of God? This right here is the most important answer you could find. And if somebody does not accept this, you might as well move on. Jesus was asked this question. When you study out the whole chapter, he's asking, these, these religious leaders are asking him uh, this question about his doctrine and about his authority because they were marveled at how he taught. And so um, starting in verse 16, John chapter 7, 16, Jesus answered, and, answered them and said, my doctrine, so my doctrine means my teaching. Doctrine, doctrine means teaching, and teaching means a pathway. Teachings were always pathways. They were always, they always led somewhere. They're like, you know, the yellow brick road. They led somewhere. Okay? And so if um, my doctrine, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know 
concerning the doctrine or the word, the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. If you're willing to do His will and obey His word, and you put God's word in a childlike faith to action in your life, you will find out if His word is true. Our generation, because of Google, if we went to God as much as we went to Google, <laughs> I'm for real. That's like I'm, I'm getting a whole nother sermon is happening right now. <laughs> Some of us trust things we see on the internet more than we trust the things in Scripture. We trust YouTube video, videos over Scripture. Jesus didn't die for YouTube but he died to fulfill that word. The author signed the book with his blood. And by the way, if you're having trouble understanding the book, make it your heart's purpose to get to know the author before you open the book. Because when you know the author, the book will come alive. It'll come alive. Look in 1 Thessalonians um, 2, 12, and 13. My prayer for you, and this is not like a, a test of like how spiritually mature are you, but my prayer for you is that all these scriptures, you see the scripture and think, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. That's my prayer for you. And I'm not here to, to do a, a Bible you know, I told you it's kind of like, you know, I want it to be like Bible college and studying the word and looking at the word, but I don't want to fill up your head with knowledge because the word of God that has the greatest potential to transform your life is the word that you obey, the word that you apply, the word that you hear and have in your head and be like, oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I understand that, but you never put it to action in your life. not good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love what he's saying here. Um, let me get there myself. I was in second. Verse 13. I actually look at 12. I don't know if I put 12 down. I did put 12 down. Good. That you would walk worthy of God. Tell somebody next to you, say, next to you, say walk worthy of God. Walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, for what reason? For, <laughs> for what reason? Yet we walk worthy because he called us. We also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Which also, meaning the word, effectively works in you who read it. In you who hear it on Sunday morning. 
Some of you are like, yeah, <laughs> you just. In you who what? And how do you know when you believe it? You do it. You do it. Your actions reveal your beliefs more than anything else. <laughs> I love you. Look at Acts 17. Verse 11. See, we just talked about the Thessalonians from the city of Thessalonica, or however you pronounce that. Thessal Thess yeah, it's close enough. So, so now in Acts 17, verse 11, look at what the Apostle Paul says, that the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, is these were more fair-minded or noble-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So just in case anybody wants biblical evidence of, should I read the Bible every day? Yes. Should I, should I search the scriptures with all readiness? Like, woo, I'm ready. That's why I say on Sunday morning, come in here ready to go. I know you might be tired, you might whatever, maybe your pop-tart pop -tart was burnt that morning, but come in and be ready to go, like shift gears and get ready, like Kelly was talking about, to set your expectation to receive the Word of God. You come in on Tuesday night, you may have had all kinds of stuff happen at work, but you ought to have had this mentality of, I'm going to the people of God, I'm coming to the house of God, and I'm going to get the Word of God, and the Spirit of God is going to be at work, and I'm going to remind myself of my eternal call Calling, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be in this thing, and we need to be stirred up ab about it. Oh. All right, one more I want you to look at. Second Timothy, and I, and I know we were just over there, but Second Timothy, um, three fifteen and sixteen. Hopefully this verse looks very familiar to you. Whole chapter's good. Man, I got a hot lot of... 2 Timothy looks like a coloring book on mine. And by the way, if you have a Bible that you're not comfortable writing in, I'd encourage you to get another Bible. Write in the Word of God. It's not defaming it. or. Um, you know what I did one day at church? I, don't, I, I did this a long time ago. Long time ago, and y'all might have heard the story. I did this. I was preaching. I was fired up, and the people were like bumps on a log. So I took the Bible, and I don't, I don't know why I did it. I was just, I'll just say it was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I took the Bible, and it was about maybe twice as long as the, this, these rows here back. And I was just preaching the Word of God passionately, you know, spit flying. And, and, and I took the Word and just... It just like... went And then landed on the back. And you heard a gasp. <gasps> and I was kind of like preaching it. I was just like, uh. and I and I did that. And everyone's looking at me like, I can't believe he did that. And I said, what do you think God's more concerned about? Me throwing that book across the room or you not picking it up all week? 
Yeah, I haven't been back to that church. <laughs> but praise the Lord. I'm not saying that was the thing I should have done, but it made a point. <laughs> it made a point. So 2 Timothy 3, uh, 15 through 16. And, the, and from that childhood, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. So that tells us right there, children need to learn the Word of God. From childhood, you have learned the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise. See, in our generation, whew, in our generation, what it would say is, now I don't know about what it is nowadays, but this is going to show my age. When we're raising kids, you know, it, it wouldn't say the, you know, from childhood, it should say that from childhood, the Holy Scriptures make you wise for salvation. But in my, in my generation, it was from childhood, Barney would make you wise for living. Dora, and think about how much to entertain our kids so that we can just have a moment. We pump so much stuff into them. But now they have technology with, with people being real creative. And I believe the Spirit of God awakening things through media and through stuff where he's, he's raising up people in that field. And in, that now you can actually, in the same technology that is used which, which uh, to promote darkness, is the same technology that can be used to promote the Word of God. And the best medium for the Word of God to come through is not your TV, but your life. Deuteronomy 6, with a Shema heart. Let these words be upon your heart. Y'all know, know this whole thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I will love the, or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And let these words, meaning the word of God, let these words be upon your heart. And then it says, and diligently Teach them, impress them upon your children in your house. So your heart and your house. What word prevails in your house? How dare us, including me, us, I didn't say you, us, sit in our living room or on our laptop or on our phone and judge a world. Judge a world that in our actions we look just like. Let these words be upon your heart. Impress them diligently upon your children. When you're in your house and along the way. When you lie down and when you rise up. Let it be on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. Put them on the, your hands on the frontlet of your, your forehead. It's we're being marked with the word of God. Because we believe this word and this word is coming to our heart. So from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that 
the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to look at your notes. I want to go through this fast because I want to tell you a story. Hebrews 4.12, you can look it up later. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, which is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. You see that all through the time, the, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. The Word of the Lord endures forever. So there ain't anytime there's like this new thing, you'd better be careful of it. Um, I'm not going to go over 2 Peter tonight. I'm going to start next week with 2 Peter chapter 1. So I'll, I'll start with that next week. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So what will convert the soul? The law of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's the biblical way of saying making wise the, we'll just leave it alone, the unwise. <laughs> So the law, the word law is Torah, and it means the instruction, the instruction. And there's a, there's a different, we'll talk next week about the different dynamics of, of the Torah, but I love what Romans 15.4 says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Anybody tells you we don't need the Old Testament, they don't know what they're talking about. So that through perseverance, and the encouragement of the scriptures. You know the scriptures should bring you encouragement. So, so that means like when you're struggling with things like depression, the first thing you need to do is turn to the word of God. Now, I realize there's levels and, and things of depression, so I'm not against going to doctors and going to physicians. I'm actually not against medicine for seasons and for reasons. But what I don't like is people being dependent upon medicine but not being willing to get into the word. So the word Bible, it, which is talking about the scripture, Biblia or Biblios is different ways you can pronounce it, um, means the book. That's what the word Bible means. It means the book. And y'all know basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible. Hopefully, y'all, did y'all already know that? Y'all didn't know it? Okay, whoever didn't know it, y'all need to go to church a whole lot more. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. <laughs> I don't remember the rest of the words. <laughs> uh, so there's really 66 different books. In the Old, Old Testament, it has 39. New Testament is 27. We'll break a lot of this down more later. A phrase you need to know is um, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. You cannot make sense of the judgment and things you see in the Old Testament without, without the absolute demonstration of love and mercy in the New Testament. Because the Bible, the Bible is this story, mercy triumphs over judgment. But it shows you what judgment is to show you what mercy is. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you just pick certain pieces of the Bible, and it's like watching a part of a movie and making a judgment about a movie when you need to watch the whole thing because the ending in this one's really, really good. Uh, and so when you look at this, um, uh, 
Jesus Christ and the New Testament affirm the Scripture. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. When he's talking about law, he's talking about the Scriptures. So Jesus is affirming the Scriptures. There's all kinds of scriptures on this. Luke 24, uh, 27, and you can look up these scriptures later. Jesus had this amazing Bible study with his disciples where he opened their understanding and showed them through the Old Testament writings, the scriptures going through all of them where he showed himself in the scriptures. So before he ascended for the final time uh, to heaven um, and then sent the Holy Spirit uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit to the earth, he 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 told them, he, he showed them like two scriptures, like remember back in Genesis? Yeah, yep, that's me. Remember over here in the Exodus? Yep, that's me. And he went through and showed them. And so what that means is every time we come studying the Bible, we're looking for Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. Okay? Uh, Luke eleven fifty one. I love this one. The blood of Zechariah to the blood of Abel. We don't understand what that means, but when you when you look back to the Old Testament scripture, we have, the Old Testament Bible is the same Bible that we have right now in our Old Testament, but a different order, a different arrangement. And so in the Old Testament that was established and functioning in the day of Jesus, they didn't have chapters and scripture. They didn't have verses. You couldn't say turn to Genesis chapter 40, verse 11. You, you, or you couldn't say turn to Genesis chapter 12. You would have to say, hey, turn to Genesis where God calls Abraham, where God calls Abram. So it was the characters and the events that led you to which part of the scroll. That's how they would know it. And so when Jesus says in Luke 11, from the, from the blood of Abel or from the blood of um, Zechariah to the blood of Abel, what he literally is saying is the first blood that was spilled in the Bible is Abel, and the last blood that was spilled in the Old Testament Bible is Zechariah. And so what he's saying is from, he's, what we would say, he just says it backwards, from Z to A, or from A to Z. So he's saying from your, like we would say, from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus to that culture, to those people. We don't hear it because we're American. And we don't understand it this way. But when he said from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, he's saying from A to Z and everything in between, he's, he's, he's saying this is the word of God. And it's all through the New Testament. The Jesus and the apostles, all they did was quote the New Testament. I mean, quote the Old Testament and affirm the word of God. Other scriptures you can look at. He said in John chapter 5, I got it quote bolded there. He literally says, Moses wrote about me, and you're not willing to come to me. You don't have eternal life. See, there's some people that all they have is a church. Some people, all they have is a Bible. Some people, all they have is a theory. But those who come to Jesus through the church and through the Bible have eternal life. Some people have a religion. They do works trying to, be, get, trying to be more good than they are bad, trying to feel better about themselves so they give to people or do this, and they do charity because that's the right thing to do. See, I'm, don't tell me I'm a sinner. I do charity, charitable things. No, you're a sinner, and you were born that way. Let me just go ahead and tell you. Somebody tells you, oh, i got to be careful. Mm. I'm going to wait on that one. Whew, I'm so thankful I caught myself. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, uh, the, the Philip preached Jesus from the Scriptures. And that's one thing that church can't do today. 
We don't know how to preach Jesus from the Scriptures. When the last thing Jesus did was showed himself who he was through the Scriptures. We preach Jesus through our emotions. We preach Jesus through our culture. Because we, we, we make a Jesus, and we have an American Jesus. You know there's a Mexican Jesus too? There's a white Jesus, a black Jesus. There's all kinds of Jesuses. But there's only one Lord. There's only one Jesus, the Christ. The last thing I want you to see here, there's all, all kinds of stuff. Um, but the Bible was written by eyewitnesses. So you have all these scriptures. And I want you to look up these scriptures. You know, 1 John says, you know, I, we, we looked, we heard, we touched. We touched this thing concerning the word of life. So the Bible was not written by, the Bible was written by eyewitnesses. And so we thousands of years, years later think, oh, you can't trust those people because they were there. Just ridiculous. So I want to tell you a story and then I want to end in prayer. Actually, no, I want you to look at, look at these last two. I'm sorry, I know I'm going a little bit long, but I want you to look at these last two. You're all right. Christians should suffer persecution. Psalm 119.89, you see it right there. And please look at those verses. On, uh, it's so hard for me to skip this, um, those verses above it. But Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You know, his word is settled in heaven and it's been released in the earth. And it's our job as a church to settle his word in the earth. His word is settled in heaven. It's settled in your life. His word, and the other translation for that is the word is established forever in heaven. Is it established in your life? Is it established in your home? Is it established, you know, in you? And that's the job, the word of the Lord being established. And I love what John 12, look at John 12, 48, 49, then I'll tell you a story. I promise you we're headed, headed out. Y'all Okay. We got pacifiers if anybody's not okay. Pacifiers and, <laughs> pacifiers and blankies if anybody's okay. <laughs> John chapter 12, look at verse 48. This is Jesus talking. And actually, I'm going to look at 47. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For what I have not, for what, excuse me, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what, or other translations say, how I should speak it. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, Whatever I speak, just as the Father 
has told me, so I speak. Guys, you know that's true about Jesus, but it should be true about us when we go talk to different people. My doctrine is not mine. I didn't come up with this. I don't think, I don't think sin is wrong. It's not my doctrine. I don't, I, 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 I don't think sexual perversion is wrong. That's not my doctrine. I don't think addiction is wrong. That's not my doctrine. I don't think certain sins are certain ways for certain reasons. It's not my doctrine. It's his. So I come and speak to you. I'm not here to judge you. But the words I'm speaking, if I'm in agreement with God, these words you're rejecting right now, you can reject me and I'm totally cool with that. The word of God will offend somebody, but we never have a right to be offensive. So I can bring the word to somebody and say, here, let's look at what the Bible says. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's look at what the word of God says. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not going to hate, but I'm going to speak the truth. And this word I'm speaking to you is not my own. I didn't come up with it. It wasn't my idea. It's not my own. I'm not judging you. But there is something that will judge you when you leave that body. And it's this word I'm speaking to you right now. And I love you enough to tell you that one day, you're going to, one day your tongue is going to confess and one day your knee is going to bow saying that Jesus is Lord. You might not say he's Lord right now, but one day you will. And I love you enough because I want you to be ready on that day because God loves you. He ain't, he's not mad at you because of sin. He's not mad at you because of what you've done. He's not mad at you because you can't get your life together. He loves, he knows you can't get your life together. He loves you. God loves you. What he hates is sin. And so we, just like as the Father sent, Jesus said this, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So that verse right there is what we need to be living in front of people. It's not my doctrine. I didn't say it. He did. And you can say he's a mythological legend or he's a lying man, or he's a lunatic man, or he's the Lord of God, Son of God, and Son of Man. And I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to <laughs> throw the book at you. I'm here to open it. And I'll be patient. And I'll let my lifestyle be such an example that gives you a courage and a curiosity that you watch my life and my life would be motivation to get you in the book. When we sin, God doesn't stop loving us. When we sin, our life no longer becomes motivation to get into the book. Sin is not about God loving you. Sin is about God's ability to use you. So I remember when I was in the military and I had technically been saved in Brother Don Young's office. The one to skip a few is this. I was in his office and I was sitting there and he looked like he didn't really, he wasn't happy about the meeting. And really reluctantly, he said this. He said, Jesus died on a cross. And my initial thought was with my 
I was such a punk back then. Oh, my gosh. Uh, my initial thought was, so, so did a lot of other people. What's that got to do with me? And he's just like shaking his head. He's like, no, you don't understand. Jesus died on the cross for you. And when he said that, something like, it's like he threw, a, it's like he took a water balloon with warm water and threw it at me. Something happened right here, but I didn't know what it was. And I was like, I was still kind of fighting a little bit. I was like, oh, don't put that on me. I didn't ask him to. I didn't crucify Jesus. And he just was like, and he opened up Romans chapter 10. That's why to this day, That's why to this day, that's what I, I, that's what I ask. Is Jesus, do you believe Jesus is Lord? And do you believe God raised him from the dead? Romans 10, 9 and 10. And so I looked at it. And he asked me that question. Do I believe that? And I said, yeah, I do. I do. And he was surprised, like, really? And he said, are you ready to surrender your life to him? And I just remember like, yeah, I think so. And I didn't know what that all was at the moment, but I was like, yeah. And he led me in a prayer and he said, close your eyes. This is what he said. And I, I use it to this day. Close your eyes and open the eyes of your heart. And he led me in a prayer, just quoting what Romans 10 says, to give my life to the Lord, like you've seen me do numerous times. And as he was saying that, it was like somebody took a scalpel and just cut open in my head. It's what it felt like. No, no pain. I'm not talking about pain. And then right underneath my skin, it was like warm oil. Just started evenly going down my body as I was praying. The only thing I could relate it to, and I'm sorry, I just got to be true. The only thing I could relate it to is buzz. This is a high. This is what drugs feel like. And so I'm sitting there thinking, what is happening, Don Young? I think I like this church. <laughs> and I'm, this peace and this warmth is coming over me. And we get done and I'm sitting there and I don't know what to say. And I'm, I'm walking out and I'm just feeling like, and I'm thinking, did I take a pill before I came? Did I, you know, because that would be weird. You know you're messed up when you get high before you go see a pastor. And <laughs> just in case anybody's high right now. Uh, and so so I, it was, I was messed up. I didn't know what to do. And, and I went to certain people and they were like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll wear off. And with the majority of Christians, it does. And I went in the military. I went back into the military and two, two and a half years did not follow Jesus, did not read the Bible, didn't think another thing about it. Went back to drinking, went back to doing stuff, went back to partying, went back to all that. And then one day I was at a Bible study at my place, um, and I was in trouble, and that's, but that's why we're having the Bible study. And, and so a lady comes to the door with two Walmart bags filled with Bibles. And she was what's called a Pentecostal. I didn't know what that meant. She was a Pentecostal. She came to the door, and she was like, you know, happy, smiling, bebopping. And I was like, hello? 
And, and she's like, hi, my name's Cheryl. And I hear, you know, and she's like, here, get a Bible. And this is, I'm not joking. I'm not, this is funny, but I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to be serious. I'm not trying to be totally serious, but this is what actually happened. Factually what happened. So she was sitting there and she was like, everybody gets a Bible. And I kind of looked back, you know, and I was like, okay, look. I'm just military, highly trained military professional. I'm like, look. There's nothing you can tell me about that book written by a bunch of monks on some island somewhere years ago that has any bearing on my life today. <laughs> you know, she was just like, oh, okay. And then I said this, no joke. This is actually, I said, and I'm not giving you any money because all you Christians want is money. And she was like, can I come in? And I was like, yeah. And she came in, passed out Bibles. Everybody get the Bible. Everybody get the Bible. And we all sit down. It's just a handful of us. And it was all women. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And, and I'm sitting there. And I, I was scared to open the Bible. I didn't know if, like, snakes were going to come out or something. I was scared of it because I didn't like books to begin with. And I didn't like, I was not what was called a reader. I was more of a feeder. And so I'm reading. So we opened the Bible. They helped me get to certain books. I don't remember what passage it was, but I'm telling you, no joke. This is what happened. I'm opening the book, and she says, I'm going to read out loud. Everybody read along. And so she starts reading out loud. I don't know what the scripture was, but as she starts reading, that feeling came back from two and a half years earlier. Hadn't had it since, or hadn't had it since the, the first time I had it. And it got, got my attention. Then I look back down to the word, and in Jesus' name, this is what happened. It was like somebody wrote the word on like a tape. And the words started coming off the page, floating, going right into my mouth. And I was like cross-eyed looking at it. I'm like, what? And I turn over and, I, and the same thing happened. I'm like, I'm looking at other people's Bibles. Like, why is it? I'm serious. That's exactly what I was doing. I'm like looking around. I'm thinking, I didn't know. Brother Don didn't tell me that the church was like this. but It didn't tell me the word. If I'd have known the word of God was like this, I'd have done that instead of doing other things, you know? And, and so went through and I, it was about a, a hour long Bible study and I got through and now I'm just, I'm sitting back, like just lean back and just like feeling so good. And she's like, does anybody want to dedicate their life to Christ? And I'm like, I do. And, and I prayed the next day and somebody, somebody told me, I don't remember who it was, but said, you know, you can go buy a Bible. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to be funny about it, but this is the truth. I was like, you can go buy a Bible? What are you talking about? I thought you only, only churches gave that out to certain people or something. They're like, no, you can, you can buy a Bible. I remember going to Kmart. The next day, I go to Kmart, and I knew they had a card section, and they had some kind of book section. I didn't know they had a Bible section. And I came around cards, came around the books, and I saw the Bible. And I'm telling you, it was like, ah, it was amazing. I'm like, yeah, hardback, softback, leather, all these things. I'm like, I'm going to buy a Bible. And I bought a Bible. And from that day to this day, I tell, I'm telling you, from that day to this day, the Word of God has been the center of my life. Because it's alive and it's active. If you really want to know if the word of God is the word of God, open the book as you look for Jesus. Humble your prideful self. Don't turn off your brain or your intellect, 
but submit it to Jesus because he's the one that gave it to you in the first place. And all the stuff you can accomplish without God, imagine what could happen if you surrendered your life to him. The word of God is the word of God. What does the Bible say about the Bible? You need to read it and obey it. So I want to pray. But here's what I would like you to do. I sense the Lord is speaking to some people right now. And that just as dramatic, hopefully in a good and wise way, as you hearing the story about the, how your pastor who you see today, how he first got into the word and the word first got into him, is like hopefully like a pretty cool thing. And you're hearing a story of a time when I opened my life to the word of God. And it was a process. But I opened my life to the word of God. And it impacted me and changed my life. I've never been to Bible school, never been to seminary. But I've been all through the word of God. That some of you in this room, I sense the Holy Spirit is marking a time for you. He's marking a time for you. And it's not too late. You're not too old. And you're not too young. That's what I hear him saying. You're not too old. It's not too late. And you're not too young. And as you begin to look to the Word of God, don't look to culture. If you want to impact culture, stop looking to it. If you want your life to make a difference and make an impact, there is no greater cause on the planet. Not veterans, not the handicapped, not the poor, There is no, not children. There is no greater cause on this planet than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you could feed everybody and they could go to hell. All those good works should happen. But the greatest cause is not some organization, but it's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that you would represent him, that your family would represent him, that your business would represent him. You don't need to be cheesy. You don't need to be churchy. You don't need to be religious, but you need to glorify God. And I sense there's a moment God is just noting different people I almost sense some of who it is. I'm not going to point you out, but I almost sense some of who it is that God is pointing you out, noting this time for you to be wide awake and aware that your receptivity, your yes or no, in this window of time is going to set the next 10 years of your life.
So, Lord, I just pray over every single person that, Holy Spirit, you would move and confirm your word to every heart, to every life, that we would be students who search, disciples who obey, who follow after truth, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. That your word would become flesh in our life. That everywhere we go, you would be known. Everywhere we go, you would be seen. None of me and all of you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin. And thank you for empowering us that we don't have to live in sin any longer. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you give dreams and you give visions. I even pray you show yourself to people through your word and even through manifestations. You show yourself to people. And you transform their life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.